0: Indeed, all other ground is sinking sand, isn't it? The joy and the power of the Word of God and the life that we're able to enjoy and live based on Jesus Christ, His strength, and of course, the faithfulness and truth that is based upon Him. As was already mentioned this evening, right before the services began, we're so thankful that we can come together and we're certainly appreciative that all of us have the measure of health and the measure that things with us permit us to so conveniently gather as we are. We continue to think about so many, not only those of our number, but even some maybe of our own families that are currently struggling so, battling a number of things, sometimes rather serious. And we certainly often think often about them. For the next few moments tonight, what about four rules of behavior? That is to say, four broad categories, each of which is addressed to the Word of God but categories that may well describe the general tendencies of behavior of one human being to another one. I wonder which kind of category you or I most often fit in. Is it one that the Bible would endorse, that it would approve, or might we need to make some changes? Might we need to adopt a different viewpoint? Tonight, as we begin to look at these one by one, our chore, or at least our approach, will be that which is most common looking somewhat carefully and methodically as we consider each one of them, beginning with an introductory slide. An introductory one I've chosen to describe like this. Ethics is a rather broad term and it certainly has a large amount of implication. After all, there are particular ethical considerations for almost any walk of life, any regulated business, any particular dealing of one company or even one individual with another. And yet, as you think about ethics, all we really mean is a system of moral principles. These principles that supposedly guide in the most efficient and best way possible for the interaction of one person or system with another. Well, as one gives thought to these systems of principles or these particular four rules of behavior tonight, we'll find they are very different. And yet, as we find examples and teachings concerning each one in the Word of God, we not only will be motivated by some which are not endorsed, but we will certainly cast a spotlight on how the Word of God so strongly directs attention to the one that is. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, I'm sure that we are all rather familiar with the so-called golden rule. It's the one that was just read by Brother Dennis a few moments ago. Of that famous presentation of Matthew 7, verse 12. May I suggest, that shall be one of them. What about the other three? I'm going to wait and save that one to last, that one that is the preferred one, but what about the other ones? What about other passages that describe it, and so often, the choices that were made? As you and I close that slide, I hope that we each will have a heightened appreciation of how the Bible develops each of them and how that you and I are strongly encouraged to think more about the last one. There's a particular metal that is quite often attached to the description of each one of them. Iron. The rule of iron. Now may I say that as we have already given some thought to the golden rule, that one we're going to call the rule of gold when we come to that point in the sermon. But why don't we begin with the rule of iron? Now, iron, as you and I know, is a metal out of which things can be very hard. Things can be very much rigid and solid. Because, after all, iron is a rather strong element, at least when it's combined with other things. You'll note at the top of the slide, the rule of iron simply says this, You do unto others as you would not wish them to do unto you. May I say that again? You do to others what you would not wish them to do to you. Now, as you give thought to at least some applications or some individuals in history who have chosen to live by that rule, you're probably well aware from the wording of it. When you act toward somebody else in a way you would not want them to act to you, you typically have in mind an approach, a level of appreciation, at which you will exert your force and your might, and your strength, regardless what the other person's wish, preference, or necessity might be. And so, for example, on that slide, you impose your will on others. No doubt, through history, you may well appreciate many a dictator has been motivated by the rule of iron. That is to say, regardless what might well be the best for their health, the other attributes of their life, you do what you want. The rule of iron is one, as you can see, that requires typically a cold, uncaring, and hard heart. To have that kind of behavior toward others to where their cries and the station of their life means nothing to you. You really couldn't care less. You, in essence, are going to impose your will because it's what advantages you. For that reason, I've listed apparently from history, based on what history records at least, a number of individuals who seemingly acted along this line. Adolf Hitler. In his desire to elevate Germany to the status which he felt she occupied, with no concern or care at all for the well-being of the Jews or anybody else, you exterminate as necessary... You modify, mold, and alter as required to bring about what your vision would lead you to see. Benito Mussolini, something similar in the nation of Italy, again, during the time of the Second World War. Well, these two are only modern-day examples of other dictators of the long-distant past, which seemingly acted in a very similar way. In the Roman Empire, many of the Caesars, it seemed, behaved like this. Nero, for example, in the middle part of the 7th century A.D., he rose to prominence as the Roman ruler, the Roman leader, the Roman Caesar. And in so doing, he had his will brought about, often bringing Christians into great persecution, even others who would not agree with him, imposing his will, at the very slight consideration and whatever the cost may have been toward someone else. A number of the other Roman Caesars could also be mentioned. I ask you to consider Domitian, often regarded as one of the the most demanding of the Roman leaders It was during his reign again a great persecution brought about and in fact John was exiled to the island of Patmos and during his reign it would seem the book of Revelation was written. I would simply use him, Trajan, and a few others to bring about again the reality of how some people in our world choose to live by the rule of iron. You might notice some of the bottom matters upon that slide and yet in light of our discussion already what about some principles of the Word of God that at least have a bearing upon the rule of iron? Could we not consider that famous example in First Kings 21? Here was a king of Israel who chose to act this way. Now, quite frankly, he was motivated by his wife, but we know nonetheless he was at least a participant in, it, in portions of it. But you remember Ahab... Here was a man who, of course, as the king of Israel, was such that he desired the vineyard of Naboth. Now, this vineyard so happened to adjoin the property of the palace. Naboth wanted the vineyard. I'm sorry, the king Ahab wanted, a vine- wanted that vineyard. He, in fact, offered to buy it. Naboth wouldn't sell. In fact, he even made this offer in addition, I will give you another vineyard. You just give me that one. I'll give you one that will be every bit worth what yours is. Naboth didn't want to trade. In other words, it was not for sale. Nor was it for consideration, nor was it for negotiation or bargain. And he even made note of the fact that under the leadership and the banner of what God had declared, this belongs to my people and me. It would not be in accordance to the will of God for me to sell it or for me to otherwise transfer ownership of it to you. One might have hoped that a king of Israel would respect that kind of response. King Ahab went home and pouted. His wife Jezebel said, You're the king, you can do what you want. Doesn't that sound like the rule of iron? And so she concocted a scheme whereby Naboth was killed for none other than the purpose of allowing her husband to take ownership of the vineyard. Sounds like she was motivated by the rule of iron, doesn't it? No wonder in that light, as you and I close that slide, it is a rather sad tale. You and I will remember what happened. Not only did Jezebel eventually lose her life as the dogs licked up her blood, but we remember that Naboth, or rather also King Ahab, his life was also taken in the matter of warfare. The God of heaven gave judgment about their rule of iron. You may notice that this rule of iron continues with at least a few additional comments on this following slide. I would think that the New Testament example that may come to the top of our list would be none other than Herod. Now there were several Herods under description, but what about the one who was really the progenitor of the whole bunch? the so-called Herod the Great. You might remember he was the leader at the time when Jesus was born, and his indication, his word, his command was, kill all of the baby boys, every one of them in the region of Bethlehem. He wanted no threat to his kingship. He wanted no rival to the throne. Kill all the baby boys. Take a cold heart to kill a baby, wouldn't it? Take a cold heart to kill that innocence and the perfection that goes with the innocence and the purity of a child. Mattered not to Herod. Isn't it fascinating that there were some others, such as Diotrephes in Third John 9? In the church, his, his rule, his opinion, his way of doing things was going to be what, ha- what happened. Doesn't that a bit again sound like a rule of iron? It'll be my way or no way. Maybe you've known some people like that who are intent on making sure that they're the leader and that their ideas are followed and that their perspective is the one adopted. May I say the rule of iron, as we've seen so far, is not endorsed in the Word of God. Those who chose to follow it, God judged them harshly. And those who chose to pursue it often wreaked great havoc among others who were trying to do that which was right. May you and I not be guilty of the rule of iron. May we understand the Bible's presentation of it and perhaps pray in earnestness for those who have chosen to adopt it. Why don't we look at another rule, another rule of behavior, aside from the rule of iron. What about the rule of brass? You may well think about brass. It is a finer metal than is the metal we would call iron. Brass is, of course, a different color. It's often used in a variety of other ways. And when mixed with the right things, it can make a very precious kind of composite. Rather than the rule of iron, what about the rule of brass? As you can see at the top of this slide, this rule simply says this. Do unto others as they have done unto you. Now that no doubt's a finer rule than the rule of iron. But there is still much to be said about it. And that's what we shall attempt to do over the next few moments. You do to others what they have done to you. I think it fair to say that there are many in our world who live by the rule of brass. You show me kindness, I'll show you some. You be mean to me, I'll be mean to you. You in fact exact an element of vengeance if you please upon me and I'll get even with you. The rule of brass. You may give thought to some of the comments to be seen on that slide relative to the rule of brass. You'll note that the ultimate consideration that begins it must be this. This rule is a rule of reaction. It takes no initiative of its own in terms of making any move or decision before others have already made one. Notice, it reacts to meanness, or it reacts to goodness. It doesn't initiate either one of its own accord. A rule of reaction. It is for that reason on the slide I ask you to note, maybe you and I have seen many who have chosen to behave according to the rule of brass about the middle of that slide, think about the two extremes. To someone who, in fact, has been shown caring, compassionate, kindness, then this person will return at least some element of that, maybe showing favor, showing kindness, or showing a degree of goodness, but it only follows the goodness that you first showed to me. But on the other side of that coin this person who has been the recipient of meanness, of ugliness, perhaps been the recipient of this kind of behavior whereby others have taken advantage of me. And then you feel free to return in kind, doing exactly the same. So in the meanness you showed to me, I will not think twice about doing the same to you. The kind of advantage you sought by doing so with regard to me, It'll not bother me in the slightest to do the same to you. The rule of brass, at least as I have described it, has been a rule of appreciation and a rule of behavior that certainly has been a common lot throughout the nature of history. As always, maybe it's time to think about the Word of God. Does the Bible endorse the rule of brass? Does it lift high the consideration of this and assert that it too would be a perfectly noble way to live today? As you and I would start in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 24, 17, you notice even there in the heart of that law of Moses, it was highlighted that there was an aspect in which under that law, it was something that was noteworthy. You remember it as well as do I. An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Hand for a hand, and burning for burning. And you and I might recall that God even established cities of refuge in order to protect the lives of someone who had accidentally taken the life of another. Now there, when you give thought to the nature of this, notice that even then God said, "'Thou shalt not kill.'" And if a person had been given, given to murder, that is, the deliberate taking of life, the cities of refuge were not intended for that person. The cities of refuge were for an accidental killing, one that was not premeditated and was not deliberate. You'll notice here that which we're discussing, the matter even texts such as Leviticus and Exodus as well, remind us that this rule of brass... You do to others what they have done to you. It only leads us to close that slide by noting this. How often does the Word of God remind us, You do not return evil for evil. Look at just a few, a sampling of these verses. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15, In the heart of the New Testament, as it comes directly to you and to me, Paul, by inspiration, wrote, return to no man, evil for evil. Someone acts toward you and me in a way that's evil, perhaps cold and heartless, and in a way that does not have our best interest at all at heart, despite what they have done. Paul said, you do not do to them what they have done to you. I realize at times, certainly, it does not lead toward a great element of closeness and favor when someone has been so guilty of mistreatment of us. But the fact remains, Jesus commands us, do not return to them what they have done to you. And clearly, that's directly into the face of the rule of brass. It directly opposes it. You'll notice that same element is repeated in 1 Peter 3, verse number 9. Here a different New Testament writer says, Do not return evil for evil. Now when you and I give thought to this again, the rule of brass, which has been the mindset and the approach of so many, the New Testament would say that is insufficient. It is not enough. No wonder near the bottom of that slide I would ask you to note this with me. Jesus Himself, the Son of God, stated the inefficiency of this, the fact that it was not enough to please God. He stated it like this. Jesus asked this rhetorical question, if you love others, don't even the sinners do that? Notice the Lord said, if you just simply repay kindness for someone that shows you kindness, well, even sinners do that. Isn't it true that many in the world will behave that way? And Jesus said, That is not enough to please the God of heaven. And isn't in many ways Jesus exhibit A of that? He went to a cross when He was not the one guilty of sin. We were. He acted on our behalf as He went to that stage and as He went to that place. He was not acting by the rule of iron, was He? Now, in light of those things, we've looked at the rule of iron on the one hand and now brass on the second. And we found that there have been faults with each one and things that are, again, not exactly as God would wish it to be. What about a third rule? This one, again, a metal is what I've used to describe it, the rule of silver. Silver, now again, we have moved to a metal that's yet finer than either iron or brass. But this silver rule, or the rule of silver, is different from the other two. Allow me to read it to you, and then let's describe it and look at several verses from the Word of God that turn our attention to it. The rule of silver. Do not do unto others as you would wish them not to do unto you. You may have to think about the two negatives, the two nots that are in that. But do not do unto others as you would not wish them to do to you. Now, once you think about that for a moment, you'll begin to see that the rule of silver is, again, one that will allow much to be stated. For that reason, look at some of the comments I've invited you to consider with me about the so-called rule of silver. First of all, this particular one, again, because of the word not that occurs twice, probably demands a bit more thinking. But again, do not do unto others what you would not wish them to do to you. With it, you'll notice that much might be said about it. But maybe first of all, it's this. For all that could be said about the rule of silver, aren't you impressed with how it says nothing positive? It just says what I'm not supposed to do. It doesn't in any way tell me what I should do. Isn't that interesting? It's merely a way to avoid activities or actions of certain kind. It's a way to turn one's attention different. It doesn't encourage you to do anything. Well, that alone probably indicates an element of problem, but let's develop it like this. You'll notice about the middle of of that slide, I suppose that the rule of silver is a rather common background and a common foundation in description of all of those who just don't wish to get involved. It's his problem, not mine. It's her situation and not mine. And therefore, I just don't want to get involved. Now, certainly there could be other matters that relate to it, but at the most basic level, surely that's some element of appeal to the so-called rule of silver. Some examples from the Bible probably again would be very appropriate. I'm reminded of Pilate, aren't you? Pilate, in that scene, in that scenario of the Lord's trial and of the disposition of Him and ultimately the march toward the cross, Pilate washed his hands of the matter. His blood be on you, not me. Now when the Jews were clamoring and crying for the Lord's death by crucifixion, Pilate proverbially took a basin of water in Matthew 27 and washed his hands supposedly of the matter as if he by some means could remove himself from the decision he made or chose not to make. Do not do unto others as you would not wish them to do to you. Pilate's not the only Bible example. I've asked you to notice that This rule of silver doesn't lead, apparently, to anything good. It just leads you not to participate in what you would not wish someone else to not do to you. Well, isn't it interesting? One of the last thoughts on that slide would be this. What about the Good Samaritan? As that record is unfolded before us in in Luke chapter 10, we well recall what happened. There were some thieves who came upon this traveler who came upon this person. And of course, as it happened, we noticed they acted by the rule of iron, of course. They were going to take what they wanted from him and leave him for half dead. And they did it. But then we notice, and you would think this would have been the very great blessing of that poor traveler, but there was a Levite that passed by. And there was a priest that passed by, and one might have thought that they would render some aid or some help, something that would benefit this poor person who was left half dead. But yet the text says, both of them, upon looking on him, passed by on the other side. Do not do unto others as you would not wish them to do to you. The priest and Levite were acting by the rule of silver. They were acting in accordance, you see, to this particular issue. I'm not going to get involved. It isn't my problem for that reason. You'll notice, you and I can quickly see the observation. What did the Lord say about their behavior? He contrasted it, did He not, with a good Samaritan who came by after the fact. And this Samaritan not only looked upon the man and saw his predicament, he aided him immediately and took care of him after the fact, and saw to it that his needs were met. Jesus asked the question, which one was the neighbor of the man? Even those in the audience said, the one that offered assistance. The one who in fact offered aid. Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. Jesus didn't endorse the rule of silver that was seen in the priest or the Levite. He did endorse whatever the rule the Good Samaritan followed was. As you and I have looked at this rule of iron, and then the rule of brass, and now the rule of silver, we have found an increasing preciousness to the metal listed. As we close that slide, aren't we reminded that the Bible frequently encourages, in fact, commands of us, Do good unto all men especially those of the household of faith, Galatians 16. Notice that's not the rule of silver. The rule of silver would say, well, you just simply don't do to them what you would not wish them to do to you. It doesn't encourage you to actually take the initiative to do good to anybody. But we notice that Jesus and so many other Bible writers and passages will encourage us of a far different rule than either iron or brass or silver. Why don't we turn our attention to the rule of gold? Closing our lesson tonight by reflecting in some interesting detail on that sweet rule of gold. The rule of gold, as you would already have anticipated, borrowing the text of Matthew 7, verse 12, says, You do unto others as you would wish them to do to you. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether they actually did or not, but you do to others as you would wish them to do to you." Now that's a very different rule than iron or brass or silver, isn't it? Not only is it worded differently, but it carries such a much more powerful sense at the top of that slide after listing it. Isn't it remarkable how active this rule is? We learned that earlier rule, many of them at least, were very much focused on the negative. This is just what you do not do. But this one is very positive. You do to others as you would wish that they would do to you. This this activity and the thrust and focus of it certainly is a sweet recollection of compassion, a concern for the well-being of someone else. For after all, we all love ourselves. Doesn't the Bible even remind us of this? The second of the greatest commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we each you know, would wish well for ourself. We wish the best for ourself. We wish the highest of welfare for ourself. Well, this particular rule says, if that's what you wish for yourself, you do to others as you would wish them to do to you. You give thought to the consideration of how would you want to be treated if you were in their position? How would you want to react if you were in their shoes? No wonder this kind of rule speaks such volume. You'll note near the top of that slide so many biblical passages, examples that remind us. How about Jesus? In Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. With His stripes we are healed. One by one as we recount the Lord's behavior. And think about the matter of His choices in life. So many times those who had acted so illly toward Him, and yet He wished only the best for them. He even went to a cross for them. Haven't you often thought in some ways about the Romans who pounded the nails in His hands, and yet He died on the cross for them? We know that because of Revelation 1 verse 5. Every eye shall see Him, even those who pierced Him, that took a great deal of consideration and selfless love, didn't it? Not only might that be mentioned, Romans 5.8 says, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 2 verse 9 will loudly shout, He tasted death for every man. Maybe with the Lord's prime example set before us, there might even be additional passages that should be well worth our consideration. Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 44, said, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. You pray for them that despitefully use you. You, in fact, give strong consideration in ways that are positive for those who have, in fact, harmed you. That has never been easy, and I suspect it never will but to those with deliberation and who are committed to the rule of gold. They will behave that way and give earnest attempt toward it. That rule of gold perhaps is so easily appreciated one more time in the wording of the verse upon which the rule of gold is based. May I read it again and then let's devote some careful attention to it in Matthew 7 verse 12. Therefore... "...all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets." When Jesus made reference to that, isn't it interesting, He connected it to the message of the law and the prophets. Now we highlighted earlier in the lesson tonight, there were certain aspects of that law of Moses that seemingly related in its base to other rules besides gold. But Jesus here said the most basic and fundamental element of all that was that law of Moses was an attempt to at least invite careful thought toward the rule of gold. He said this is the law and the prophets. Later in the Old Testament, the prophets, as they too taught about the nature, even in that ancient era, in that ancient day, about the character of how you behave one to the other. Many of the Proverbs will actually involve the rule of gold. Maybe it is having said all of that. What about some attention to the verse before us? All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you. How would you and I want to be treated? How would we prefer to be treated? What would we wish that person to do to us? And whatever our answer to that is, that's how we treat them. As we noted earlier, it is not based upon the fact they have already done that to us. Remember, that would be the rule of brass. This is the rule of gold, whether they have or not. We're motivated by a higher level, a higher plane than what they've done to us. All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them that often calls us to a rather high plane of living, doesn't it? A plane of living that is so much higher than what we so often see manifested in the world around us. We know the devil would greatly prefer these other rules like iron, like brass, perhaps even like silver. But you see, the rule of gold is far above any of them. And it's the rule our Savior endorses. It's the rule Jesus taught, and it's the rule that He expects you and I to give diligence to consider. And so at the bottom of that slide, I've listed several other translations and comments about it. The ESV says it like this, Whatever you would that men do to you, do you even so to them. Now that sounds very similar to the King James translation, but I did think it interesting that among the ways that's presented, you'll notice that a few elements in the wording are slightly different and somewhat even stronger. One more thing about that would be this. As you turn from that slide to note one more thing about the rule of gold. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40, Jesus said some things about this in the course of His presentation on that interesting occasion. Without reading all of that, can I simply invite you to notice the scene was a very intriguing one. Matthew chapter 22, looking carefully at verse number 36. As we noted briefly a moment ago, the Lord was asked on this occasion, what is the greatest commandment? The first was, of course, the absolute love of God with all of one's being. And then as He went on to say, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now thankfully we well remember that A lawyer asked the Lord, Who is my neighbor? And you and I remember the Lord's answer. It was that Good Samaritan record, the parable therein stated. Are you and I pretty good at following the rule of gold? Has that been the motivation, the issue that has driven you and I to behave in ways like like we have done? One by one, as we have looked at each of these this evening, it's certainly fair to say that perhaps an element of summary... We'll put all of it before us. Four rules of typical behavior of humankind toward others. The rule of iron. Harsh, cold, heartless. The rule of brass. This particular rule that highlights again, simply doing to others what they have done to you. Quite often as you and I have thought about that one and its implications, it certainly appears to be rather common. But we've also found it's lacking. The rule of silver. The withholding of what is otherwise not to be done. But as we noted, nothing positive comes out of it. It's simply withholding the otherwise what one would consider evil from someone else. The rule of gold is the one Jesus taught. He did so early in His public ministry, and He sets it before all of us today as you and I that would be the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ seeking to do to others as we would wish them to do to us. Tonight, as we close our lesson, we have found in it, I hope, a motivation for each of us to be motivated one more time by the teachings of the Master and in so doing, how different we will be than so many in the world around us. Not living by those other rules because they're insufficient. Jesus taught the rule of gold tonight. It may be that someone in this assembly... Perhaps upon reflection of your life, you would wish for things to be different, things to be done in an alternate way, to perhaps live closer to the rule of gold. If we could be of some help to you tonight, we would wish to pray on your behalf as a wayward child of God. But if you have never become a Christian, don't you want to follow the teachings of the one who would teach the rule of gold? What a fine and noble way to live. What a fine and powerfully directed course of life. You could follow the greatest one to ever walk the planet. We'd be happy tonight to assist you in your element of belief, your statement of repentance, your consideration of confession, and also the matter of your baptism. Tonight, if we could assist you in those ways, it'd be our joy, and it'd be a powerful way to begin a new life for you a life in which your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Tonight, though, if we could be of some assistance in either of these ways, we'd love to do that and do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.